Welcome to another episode of The Marrow Show, presented by Marrow Ministries, hosted by Luke Walker, Nate Kennecott, and Alexander Wade. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Marrow Show brought to you by Marrow Ministries. Today's topic is on the conscience. All right. How does the Bible speak about and help us to shape and inform our conscience? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, so I'm Alexander Wade with Nick Kennecott and Luke Walker. And man, let's get into the topic of discussion for today, guys. Uh, man, the conscience. Man, all of us uh, have spoken about conscience. We kind of, I think it's one of those things that everybody talks about, but I don't know how much study we actually put into, uh, the conscience. You know, um, I know, for example, many of our, uh, watchers, listeners probably been struggling with their conference conscience because they haven't purchased, um, uh, Nick Alford's new book further up and further mm. in yet, you know, and it's been, been eating at them on the inside and they don't know exactly what's going on. What, where is that hitting me? This, this struggle that I'm having on the inside. And I, I would say that might have something to do with the conscience. Right. And so, uh, <laughs> so how do we, how do we think about the conscience, uh, biblically? Uh, we'll start with, with Nick. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, basic, a basic understanding of the conscience is this this internal capacity that we have to um, to work through an issue. It's our it's our rational faculty to think through whether or not something is good or bad, right or wrong, and um, and there's a lot of factors that play into how it is informed and how it works. But uh, that's that's the basic uh, idea behind what the conscience is, and that goes. We see it all throughout Scripture. That goes back into ancient philosophy. Uh, pretty well agreed upon understanding that that's what the conscience is. It's an internal faculty with a rational capability to help us determine what's right or wrong um, based on how the conscience is formed and uh, what uh, inputs it has and experiences it has been shaped by. Mm. Um now, speaking about it as a, a internal uh, kind of mechanism, uh, now in our confession of faith, it mentions the conscience and how uh, God alone is the Lord of our conscience, right? Uh, and so thinking about that just from uh, the history of the church, specifically from the, the 1689 confession of faith, what does it mean that, the, that God alone is the Lord of our conscience? Luke, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that, I love that expression in the confession it's <clears throat> so helpful um you know they're coming out of in the reformation tradition um they're coming out of of the roman catholic church you know there's a few generations removed by that point but one of the key issues in the reformation was the conscience and what duties are is man bound to do um and can the church kind of multiply those and kind of just make those up and enforce those. And um, so that expression that God alone is the Lord of the conscience speaks to what the conscience really is. And that is something that God has placed within every human being, um, like a sentinel or a watchman 
that accuses us when we do wrong or that commends us when we do right. And as, 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 as people, we're only accountable to God in that. And especially as Christians, we are accountable to God's word. So <clears throat> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great phrase there against legalism mm. that as Christians, we can't force our opinions or even our preferences. It's okay to have convictions and preferences about doing things as Christians, but we cannot go beyond that than to enforce those convictions on others. And the way the Bible's written, it's it, it gives us the Lord gives us those broad principles. He gives us His commandments, His clear commandments of what He expects from us. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of liberty to order our lives, our families, our Christian walks. Um, according to as the Lord leads us within those parameters. So it's really a hands-off thing, hands-off the conscience. And um, it's a good thing for pastors like us to, to remember that always, but also as husbands and fathers and, and dear brothers and friends, um, we, do, we do need to be careful about that. But God alone gets to determine um, what the conscience must and must not obey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, the the language in the the confession, man, it's it's really good. Um, it's it's twenty one paragraph two. But God alone is the Lord of the conscience, and has left it free from the doctrines and commands of men which are in anything contrary to His word, or not contained in it. So that to believe such mm-hmm. doctrines or obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience, and the requiring of an implicit faith. And absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Uh, so, man, they they really uh, thought about that a lot and put a lot of thought into to, to have this as something that you would um, uh, uh, include in a confession of faith um, and to, to put such very clear, strong language in there. Um, makes us it should make us think man the 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 conscious is an important thing for us to think about and know how to um uh, how to strengthen how to discern whether our conscience is mm-hmm. is healthy uh and maybe we can talk about that a little bit right um uh is the conscience kind of just like a free-for-all thing do, do i just get to go well you know according to me and my conscience you know this is what mm-hmm. i think and this is what i can do and this is how i can live um, uh, or should there be a certain uh, unity that's found in the conscience of believing people? Um, and if so, I mean, how do we grow in that, uh, Nick? Well, the conscience is, is really just a, um, it is an internal witness to what we already know. It's, uh, it, it's informing us based on what we understand um, and specifically as we use the term as Christians especially, we're generally talking about what's right and wrong, what to do or what not to do. And so our, uh, I think a good example of this is when the Apostle Paul writes about, um, he, didn't know, he didn't know what it meant to covet until uh, he heard from the law of God that it was a sin for him to covet, and then once he did, he wanted to covet all the more, and you have you have sort of this uh, this sense that there he's talking about his conscience being informed that this thing that you're doing is wrong, 
And now I have this internal witness telling me this is wrong. And so whenever I do this thing, I sort of have this, uh, this red flag waving in my mind saying, don't do that. And so in that way, uh, this is what, uh, what Paul uh, writes about in chapter 2 of Romans um, when he's talking about those who are lawless. And he says, they show that their work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also mm. bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so now their mm. conscience is informed because they know, and here he's talking about through the general revelation of the law of God written on the heart of man. They know it's wrong, um, and yet they mm. do it anyway, and so their conscience is bearing witness to that. And so now they have conflicting thoughts. I'm doing the thing I want to do, even though I know it's wrong, and so my conscience will accuse me in what I'm doing that's wrong, but in time I can suppress that and I can sear that to where it may even excuse me because I'm able to justify it in my own mind. And so um, what our experiences are and what we put into our minds and our hearts and what informs us is the very thing that shapes our conscience uh, to be able to um, to rely on our conscience in any way uh, that it would be mm. of any value to us. Some people's consciences mm -hmm. are so ill-informed that they should not in any way rely on their conscience because it's, uh, it, it, it's going to be uh, filled with all <clears throat> sorts of ideas that are contrary to not only God's law, but to nature itself. Yeah. Mm. So... So, Nick, while you were talking there, man, you used a couple words. Um, you had mentioned our ability to suppress our con our conscience um, or to sear our conscience. Uh, so, Luke, man, uh, maybe uh, expand on that a little bit, man. What what does it mean to suppress the conscience? And man, what are the um, like, man? What what's what's going to be the impact or the effect on a believer uh, for mm -hmm. for prolonged periods of time of <clears throat> suppressing the conscience? Yeah, that's a great question. And it is a matter of stewardship. The conscience, our consciences are something we are to nurture, feed, and inform so that they then can serve us as we go in life. And you you, you see this in believers that, that have just walked with the Lord so long and are so steeped in his word and have wisdom from experience that they just have more of a sense, you know, of of the decisions to make the moves to make and that's our that's our goal for all of us as christians is to be strengthened in that um but if we're not careful we can we can damage our consciences it is never right to go against conscience <clears throat> even if the conscience is wrong so um we need to inform ourselves ab about um God's commandments and what he expects of us it's one of the greatest things about the reformed tradition in my opinion is that it so champions God's clear commandments and laws of what he expects us to do that it sort of helps eliminate this whole gray area of where we think, you know, God wants me to do this or that, or maybe God wants me to wake up every morning at five and read my Bible for 38 minutes and then, you know, pray for 17 and a half. Or maybe he wants me to pick up trash wherever I walk. And, you know, there's so many things that Christians can deal with. Maybe he wants me to confess all of my sins in detail to every Christian I know. You know, Christians, if they're not careful, can get into a, a tough spot where their conscience um, <clears throat> is misinformed. 
With that said, though, Paul talks about this in Romans 14. Even if the conscience is wrong, if we go against it, it is still mm -hmm. sin. Because he says whatever doesn't proceed from faith mm -hmm. is sin. In other words, an example I've heard used is, let's say my son Judah thought I told him to clean his room. You know, mm -hmm. uh, clean your room by whatever this time. But I didn't actually say that. I said something else, you know, like, listen, check out this MF Doom. But he thought I said clean his room. So yeah. he he's sitting there in his room thinking, Dad wants me to clean my room, but I'm not going to do it. So then I walk in at the appointed time or whatever, and I, I see the room's not clean, and I don't, I don't say anything um, because I never told him that. But you can see how for him, in his mind, that would be sin because he thinks I wanted him to do it. And then still made the choice not to do it, you know. Um, and so you really have to be careful about that. And if you live in a pattern of disobeying your conscience and going against it, trying to suppress it, your conscience will be weakened. It's good to have a sensitive conscience, not a misinformed one. You want a strong conscience, but you want it to be sensitive to the patterns of sin and, and the temptations in our lives. And but if you start suppressing it, you can dull your conscience, and then sin can come more easily and more freely for you as a Christian, and you'll be less sensible of it, and that's not a good thing at yeah. all. Mm -hmm. good. So ultimately, you, the conscience can be seared. Um, I don't think that's true of a real believer, but you know, eventually, if somebody rejects the Lord and goes against what they know so long, they might not have much of a conscience left by the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that as you were talking. Like, is that a is this maybe a, a good way to think about uh, just some of the uh, implications of Romans chapter one, and you know, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and then uh, eventually uh, the result of that being turned over to a depraved mind. Is mm -hmm. you know, is mm -hmm. that you know, are we are we essentially talking about a dead conscience, right? Is that a judgment upon a person? Um, is that, you know, at some point in time, man, this, um, your conscience, um, that was working for you and, and, and convicting and, and all that stuff, man, like, you know, eventually it's like, man, it's, it's dead. It just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and you're turned over, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't know. What do you think about that? And uh, Nick and, and conscience in light of Romans one, suppressing the truth, being turned over to depravity. Uh, you see a connection there? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on with that, Wade. Um, think of uh, what Paul writes in first Timothy chapter four. He, he deals specifically with this idea of a seared conscience. He says, now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so you have these evildoers who have uh, taken upon themselves to believe the doctrine of demons, essentially is what Paul is saying there. And in so doing, their, uh, their, their conscience is seared. In other words, they're, uh, they're convincing themselves that what is true is not actually true. 
and what they want to follow and believe is the right way uh, to go. And so their conscience, their, their natural faculties uh, that arise from the law of God being written on their heart is suppressed more and more until they have finally convinced themselves uh, that uh, good is bad and bad is good. Um, mm. and, and, and really we can see, you know, a, a lot of people want to talk about um, just sort of the general state of society, I think is a good example of this. The national conscience of especially Western civilization today has in many ways been seared. Uh, when we can have uh, congressional hearings on whether or not a man is, can be a woman um, and whether or not men should be competing in girls' sports, and there's, you know, as one example of many that we could point out, uh, you have to say that the national conscience has been seared in many ways because everyone knows this is uh, foolishness. It's nonsense. But at the same time, we are supposed to be uh, taking it seriously. We're told to take it seriously. Why? Because the conscience has been seared so much uh, that we're, there are certain individuals and forces trying to convince us uh, that what is good and right and natural is, is bad and wrong and unnatural. And we need to think about it in different categories than has always been understood and most importantly has been informed by the Word of God. So it's a, it's a, a willful suppression of the truth that has been revealed to all mankind through the law of God being written on our hearts. Mm -hmm. you, you know, Nick, uh, as you were talking, I, got, I was a little distracted, to be honest with you, because I, I started thinking, man, we keep using this word seared, man. And I was thinking, you know, outside of uh, a term that's used for for steak, uh, you know, I don't really use the word seared on a regular. So like, man, so so when we say we're searing a conscious like, man, what are we really talking about, man? We talking about giving it some crispy edges. You know, talking we talking about you know just you know like, like what's what's actually happening to the conscious when we say it's seared? Like, why is that the word that we're choosing uh, to describe what's happening to the conscience? Well, it's taking that it's taking that juice. It's taking that juicy steak of the conscience as God has made it to be so full of flavor and nuance and and sensitivities and it's just roasting that thing till it's a solid gray mass that you got to put the ketchup of religiosity on top of to try to get anything out ketchup. of it the ketchup of religiosity all right keep going keep all going all the you just you just took that you took that thing and you burned away all all the goods in there um and it's not sensitive anymore, <laughs> you know. Hmm. You, you you you've seared the nerves, and that that's what that's what the sinner ultimately wants in the state of being lost is, leave me alone, yeah. you know, leave me alone, God, so I can do what I want to do, and that and like in Romans one there, God says bet, and lets him do that so that those nerve endings on the conscience are like just dead, and they don't feel anything anymore. Is it like in uh, Men in Black when they made Will Smith put his fingers on that on that ball that burned all his fingertips off real quick? 
That's that's what it's like. Wow, he probably couldn't, you, you know, know he, he probably couldn't even feel nothing for for a couple of weeks. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because <laughs> you know the conscience torments the sinner who's in a state of lostness. Yeah. You know, um, as Christians, our conscience can torment us too. I'm sure we'll get into this. It's a, one of the glories of the gospel and the justification we have in Christ that it is eases our consciences, and it's so easy to go back to a works-based religion as a Christian and start to feel guilty all the time because of all the ways we're failing as believers or maybe even failing to do things God never actually asked us to do. Mm-hmm. And you live in that state of weight and grief. And, you know, that can take a toll on, that can go as far as taking a toll on somebody's health Yeah, for a Christian to live in that way. So we want to be set free by the righteousness of Christ that we have and the freedom and liberties we have, you know, in God's law to follow him freely. And, and so it's such an important thing. Um, and I think probably a lot of Christians do just live in perpetual guilt. Yeah. yeah. But that's, you know, we can get into that too. I'm sure we will. Well, it's, it's, uh, Paul often writes about having a clean conscience, doing stuff with a clear conscience, which is obviously the exact opposite of what you're talking about there, Luke, that um, he's able to function and to write what he writes and to say what he says and preach what he preaches, knowing that it's right and true. And his conscience is not, uh, is not sort of coming at him and saying, this is, this is wrong, turn around, go the other way, do something different. Um, and and he, he sort of juxtaposes that in his writing. Think of, think of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting oh. this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so this whole idea that there's uh, the faith that we have in Christ informs our conscience. And we want to have a good conscience. And if we reject what the conscience informed by our faith in Christ and the truth of the scriptures, obviously, uh, if we reject that, then we are going to make shipwreck of the faith and, uh, and mm-hmm. as Paul says, be handed over to Satan uh, for, hopefully, the destruction of our flesh that we might see the error in our ways. But oftentimes, it's, it's to the extent that we just suppress and sear so, uh, so egregiously that we are handed over to ourselves to do as our flesh pleases, which is never a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, man, it, it's important to uh, to have a, a a good understanding of the role of the conscience and and what it's supposed to do. Man, it's it's a blessing that the Lord pursues us and and convicts us. And you know, it's even interesting. I, I want to talk about the conscience and really try to. I, I'm just finding that the more I talk about the conscience, the more I'm almost talking about it like a like an entity, like something that's alive, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, uh, when we're thinking about the conscience. Uh, uh, are we are we talking about um, something that exists and is happening with our own mental facu- faculties? Are we talking about something that um, the living spirit of God that lives in us? 
um, is is using to uh, to work within us. Um, but it, it, it's hard to kind of I'm noticing it's hard for me to kind of talk about it with without almost talking about it as if it has some type of agency. Um, mm. And so, yeah, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? It's like, um, <clears throat> you know, there's some things in the Christian life that are steady, our justification. That just is what it is. It doesn't change our adoption. But then there's other things like our faith that can go up and down and you nurture it. You want to nurture it and grow it and, and, and cultivate it. And the conscience is kind of like that. Now, <clears throat> everyone has it, right? Even if they're not Christians, we're born with it. It's part of what makes us image bearers is that not only do we know God exists and know what he expects of us, but we have this internal warning system <laughs> to alert us when there's danger on that. And, um, and some Nick, Nick said earlier, it's, it's about what we know and the knowledge we have. And that's where the word conscience comes from, of course, con science with knowledge. And so it's that which we are aware of. Um, but then when we become Christians, our conscience is empowered more by the Holy Spirit and should become more sensitive. And that's why when you grow as a Christian, you didn't even realize you were sinning in certain ways. And all of a sudden, wow, you you realize these sin patterns have always been there, but I didn't even know about them. Mm. And it's the continual growth of discovering and seeing more and more of our own sin. Another important reason for having such a solid um, doctrine of the gospel in place where we're resting in Christ. And that gives us the the wherewithal to face that sin and to know that we're not rejected by God from that. He already knew about that long before we did, and Christ died for that. And so we don't have to be scared to learn more about our sin and see it. And, and that's something the Holy Spirit will help us do. The more we're in Scripture, the more we're under the means of grace, the more we're fellowshipping with believers, and just the more life that we live and time we put on the clock going through the ups and downs of life as believers then hopefully that conscience grows more and more. Yeah. You know, as you, as you started talking, man, I started thinking, I'm thinking thoughts, man. I'm thinking about, man, um, how, do, how do we process the conscience? Like it's something that we all have individually, uh, but is this an individual responsibility or is this something that um, we need to be working on in the context of um, a local church body? Uh, what responsibility do we have to one another's uh, 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 speaking into and helping to sharpen one another's mm -hmm. conscience, things like that. So, yeah. but here's the problem, man, this, this first man, half an hour has already flown by. Uh, and so, man, we need to wrap this up, but uh, we want to continue our conversation on the conscience. So, uh, man, uh, first thing, if you're watching this online, listening to, to this on a podcast feed, maybe watching this on television, uh, man, any way that you have to share this, man, go ahead and share it. Um, uh, and don't forget that if you're watching this, wherever you're watching or listening, go ahead and subscribe wherever that you're wherever you're at so you can get notifications when we drop new content. Uh, but go ahead, like, share, subscribe. Uh, make sure you visit marrowministries.org. Check us out over there. And you got to, you got to, again, as your, as your conscience is, is stirring, you're probably wondering why. And it's probably because you've yet to read, purchase and read further up and further in by Nicholas Alford. You can get that on amazon.com, you know, but, but stop by marrowministries.org first and, and, and check all that. But that's, you know, I got a feeling that you'll find some, some peace to your restless heart, uh, you know, after you read mm. this gospel heavy uh, book right there. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, so mm. 
But this concludes part one of The Merrill Show on our topic on the conscience. Uh, tune in on the next episode. We're going to pick up where we left off and, and finish this conversation. Until next time, grace and peace to you all.